that we get to come to church, Lord, where we can learn about you and hear just messages about you, Lord. And the freedom that we have to where we don't have to hide it or anything. We can just uh, openly talk about you and uh, just have hold a service like church, Lord. And I just hope to give Bobby the words as he's going to be uh, just giving us his message, Lord, that whatever you want us to learn, that uh, he would just say it right, Lord, and that we would have open hearts and that, would be, that we would be willing to change, Lord, willing to conform our hearts to you. And I suppose help the main service go well, and uh, that if there's any lost people in anywhere in any service today, Lord, that uh, you just touch their heart and that they realize they need to get saved. Amen. All right, if you guys could turn to Job 41. So this is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, and there are about 10 million different aspects um, that hit on it. I know Stephen's been teaching on this for the last five, six weeks, I don't know. Um, so what I'm bringing you guys this morning is the one that's closest to my heart, the one that's affected me the most while I was coming up through high school when I was your age, the things that were affecting me, decisions that I should have made or that I should have realized, selfish decisions, and things that God used in my life to protect me from going down a very, very bad path that would have not allowed me to be up here today. All right, so you guys all have a study sheet by way of introduction. It says, we need to understand a very important fact. The devil is trying very hard to marry people who shouldn't be together and keep people from getting married who should be together, flat out. When you guys go out into the dating world, when you guys are looking at somebody that you think might be a potential mate, understand this fact. It has to go through an entire filtration system to make sure, is this what God wants or is this what the devil wants? The prince and ruler of this present world system will do anything and use everything to set you on a course of chaos and heartache. Look at Job 41, which I am not in. Did you guys turn, but I didn't. Job 41, verse 22. You guys know what Job 41, what's Job 41 talking about? It's talking about the Leviathan. Who's the Leviathan in a picture? Well, who is the Leviathan? Satan. Satan. Okay, so let's look at a description of him. Verse 22. It says, In his neck remaineth strength. He's got a hard neck. And then this is the key. And sorrow is turned into joy before him. So our sorrow, our chaos, our heartache, our hurt, our pain. You know what Satan sees when he sees that? It makes him happy. It, It brings him joy. That's our enemy out there. That's what he desires out of us. That makes him happy. Our sorrow before Satan makes him happy. It makes him smile. It's sick. It's twisted. And that's our enemy. He'll use influence. Back on introduction. He'll use influences such as friends, people that are giving you advice, television, and just to branch off on television, all these model sitcoms and stuff, all these relationships that you see on TV. You ever wonder why actors and actresses don't fulfill the beautiful relationship they have on TV shows? because it's crap it's garbage what you see on a sitcom that's not real life they're acting it's satan it's a system trying to put these thoughts in your head of oh that's how a relationship's supposed to be if i do this then this happens if i do this then this happens i can do this because they got away with it on this notice how actors and actresses are the highest divorce they have to be the highest divorce rate in the world if they act that out and they they see the the script and everything goes why aren't they successful because it's garbage it's what, something Satan uses. Social media, our hormones, our pain, etc., to give us an unrealistic view of what a spouse-slash-relationship is supposed to look like with one desire, and that is self-destruction. Satan wants us to destroy ourselves. He wants us to start at a young age. He wants to throw things at you right now that will get you off course and will lead you to self-destruction. Suicide rate is through the roof. 
He wants to play with your emotions. He wants to get inside your head and think you're something that you're not. He wants you to make decisions that you think you can't get back from. He wants you to be self-destructed and don't let Satan win. So the title of this morning's message is Being Honest, Where is Your Heart? So point number one, Satan knows your true desires and will use them to destroy you. Satan knows your true desires. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. A lot of familiar verses this morning, but I want you to think of them in the light of a relationship. Ephesians chapter 6. Our enemy is not stupid. He understands us. He understands what sets us off. He understands what buttons to push, which temptations to throw in front of us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Anybody know what wiles means? You can understand this verse if you don't know what wiles means. Wiles is like to trick, to deceive. He throws stuff at us that, that trick us into thinking this is the right way to go. He knows what desires we have, and if he throws something in that that will utilize that desire to pull us away, he'll throw it at us. For example, and I'm going to get to it, my desire, my, my strong desire is companionship. I so strongly want to be with somebody. I so strongly want to be in a relationship so that I have somebody to share my life with. So he threw people at me that, that filled that cup that were completely wrong, but it filled a desire of mine. All right, flip over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. The wiles of the devil, the deception, it's all deception. You're going to see a common theme in these verses. Just like in Ephesians chapter 6, it said, put on the whole armor of God. Why? So you can combat those, those fiery darts, the wiles of the devil. And then verse 7 in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Why? So you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Alright, and then flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And then we're going to get a little personal. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 7. Says, casting all your care upon him, God, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And then verse 9 whom, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Okay, so cast your care upon God. Why? Because verse 8 there's a lion who's walking around seeking whom he may desire. I heard a, a message talking about a lion only roars when it has its prey. If the lion's roaring, if there's chaos coming down on you, Satan's got you. There's still a time to get out. But this lion, he's coming and he wants to eat you. He wants to devour you. He wants you to self-destruct. But there's a common theme in these three verses. There's a battle between good and evil and it's after your heart. Okay? There's a recipe in the Bible and God knows that we're going to be faced with this. Submit to God. Put on the whole armor of God. Cast your cares upon God because Satan's coming after you. Satan's coming after you. Satan's coming after you. And think of that with relationships. Satan does not want you to be equally yoked in a relationship. He doesn't. If you're lost, he wants to stick you with somebody that's saved so it brings both of you down. And if you're saved, same thing. He wants you to be with someone that's lost. 
If you're saved and you're in a relationship with somebody that's saved, he's going to do everything he can to try and break you guys apart. He's going to try and throw sin after sin after sin, temptation after temptation. And I live that. So my personal testimony, the desire that Satan used in my life is companionship. I hated, hated, hated being alone. Hated it. I grew up with four siblings, and I think there was a reason for that. I always needed somebody to spend time with. Okay, and while that's not a, a bad thing, a bad thing in, in, in my life, Satan knew that I put that above God a lot of times. I put that above God a lot. All right, so he threw girls at me that filled that cup on the surface. You know, you guys know the description clingy. You know, nobody wants a clingy girl. For me, that was my weakness. When a girl wanted to be with me, when a girl wanted to hold my hand, when a girl wanted to give me a hug, I, I liked that. I thrived on that because I felt, I felt wanted. I had that companionship, somebody to share my life with. And it's so easy. I remember Stephen was hitting on this two weeks ago. You know, you have that triangle. You go spiritual, emotional, physical. It's so easy to brush by that spiritual. And I'm not saying skip it. You know, we never skip it. We go through the spiritual and we're like, yeah, they're saved. They go to church. Good. Now let's go on to the emotional. That was me in high school. I knew that I could not be with somebody that was lost. But if they put on even a, a glimmer that they were saved, I was like, okay, good. Good enough for me, God. Yep, we're good. All right, let's move on. And it got me into a lot of messes. A lot of girls before Brandy that just created a lot of heartache. A lot of bad memories. A lot of conversations I had to have with Brandy. Then came... Who do, who do you think came into my life after all that? Brandy. 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 And there was something different about Brandy. All right, She had a Bible at school. So let me, sec, let me step off that for a little bit. Do everything that you can, even if you don't know if, you're doing, if what you're doing is the best, do everything that you can that you know is right. Bringing a Bible to school is one of the easiest things to do. I look back on that day when she had a Bible because I probably would not have talked to her if she didn't have a Bible. To me, it was like God saying, you need to talk to her, you need to talk to her. If she did not have a Bible, I don't know if I would have even talked to her. But I look back on that day, and I think that God protected us from so much sin, from a lot of the stupid mistakes that even Brandy and I were about to make because she brought a Bible, because she was obedient in that aspect. I don't know. I, you know, when you stand before God when you die and you want to look back and see how he connected all the dots, I think that's going to be an, a, a huge point in our life. So what are you doing? Little things like that to protect yourselves from sin. But she had a Bible at school. On the surface, our relationship was high school sweethearts. We spent a year becoming friends. And then sooner or later, we started dating. I had to outline all this or I'd be going off on rabbit trails because there's a lot of pieces to our relationship. Okay. You know, everybody in here, I mean, be honest. Have you ever had the desire to have a high school sweetheart, marry him, have two kids and live in a, yeah. How many in here? Come on, there's got to be more than that. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's what the world tells you. You, you, you find, a, find a person in high school, you guys date for a couple years, you go to college, you might get engaged a year or two into college, you get married and you live this perfect life in a white picket fence with a dog and a pool. And, you know, that's what the world wants you to think. And you can want that so much that you start justifying little things, justifying little things, justifying little things. You start writing this off because you're like, yeah, I know that's a problem, but as long as I stay strong on this path, that's what I'm going after. That's what I'm going after. I was going at, you know, I think back to what Pastor Tony said on camp. Jesus was not my destination. My destination was being a 25-year-old living with a perfect family, with kids. It wasn't a bad desire. But that was my destination. That's what I was pressing forward. Every decision I made was to get to that point. And again, I was not a bad kid. On the surface, 
A lot of people would have been like, yeah, I want my kid to be like Bobby. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know what's going on in my head. A lot of issues, a lot of issues. And at its core, the fact that we are married today is nothing short of a miracle. And I want to make this point too. Anyone that uses me and Brandy as a reason, and I know some people have, to date in high school and you're like, well, you guys, you guys worked out fine, does not know the whole story. I will tell you from experience that if we wait until after high school to start dating, and again, this is not saying don't date in high school. I think there's, it's a maturity level, not necessarily an age or a grade level. If we would have waited until after high school to date, I think we would have had so many less problems in our marriage. So many less things to work through in the first couple years of our marriage. It was hard because of things that we did in high school. There is a way, Proverbs 14, 12, which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We think that we know what we're doing is right. We think we're mature enough. We think we're in control at this age. Be careful. Where's your destination? What are you going after? All right? And just because you're dating a Christian does not mean that you'll be immune from making sinful decisions. It actually means that the temptation is going to be that much greater. Because again, if Satan can throw sin into that relationship, he can destroy a monstrous work that God was going to accomplish. Absolutely. If you're dating someone that's lost, Satan really doesn't have to try that hard. Don't even mess around with it. It's that hard when I was dating somebody that was saved. Imagine how difficult it would have been if I was with somebody that was lost. I can guarantee you I would not be here today. Not at all. Proverbs 27, 20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. That is completely true in a relationship. You know, if people ever ask you, as a Christian, you know, what, what's too far? What's too far in a relationship? Can we hold hands? Can we put our arms around each other? Can we kiss? And then we won't even talk about the rest after that. Where do you draw the line? I'm going to tell you again from experience, the eyes of men... They're never satisfied. Your flesh, it's never satisfied. When you're doing things to try and make yourself feel good, and again, I'm not drawing a line on it. I knew my limitations. My limitations were like an inch before kissing. When your flesh is wanting more and wanting more, it's never satisfied. You'll justify it in your head. You'll be like, yeah, this, I'm in control right here. This, this feels good right here. I, I can stop here. Then next week, you're like, this isn't, this isn't doing it for me. I got to go a little more. I got to go a little more. I got to go a little more. The eyes of men are never satisfied. And people see, and I, you know, I have a newsflash. Stephen, I think, says this every week. People, people can tell. People can see it in your life. You're not hiding anything. I think of, uh, I, asked, I told Lydia, she said that she had Mr. Harbor. He was one of my football coaches and one of our teachers. And I said, hey, tell me you know Bobby and Brandy. And this isn't, you know, this might not seem like a big deal. But so she came back and she said, yeah, Mr. Harbor said that, you know, he knew you guys, but you guys were one of those on-again, off-again relationships. You know, the ones that you were fighting one day, then you were together the next, and up and down, up and down, up and down. And I'm like, man, what a shame. You know, that that's my testimony. And I'm not knocking you, Lydia, or anything. It's fine, you know. But that's the testimony that we left in high school, is that we were just some, you know, we had, a, we had an opportunity to be different. We had an opportunity to be a light to that school of, no, this is how relationships looks. And we just look like every other relationship, if not worse, while proclaiming the name of God. If anything, it would have been better for us to keep our mouths shut about that when we're acting like that. So God brought us, and again, I'm not getting into all the details. If you want the unabridged version or the abridged, whatever that term is, have us over for dinner and we'll give it to you. 
Um, but God brought us to a point of decision. And again, you guys need to understand, we did not want to commit the sin. Remember where I said you go a little further, you go a little further, you go a little further? We did not want to keep going. Desire, selfish desire, just because you don't want to keep going is not enough. We did not want to commit the sin. But we kept letting our flesh win. We kept letting our flesh win. And God opened my eyes with one passage. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 6. I don't know if that's on your study sheet, but flip... 1 Corinthians 6. If you get nothing this morning, hear these verses. I heard this passage, I think it was a week after we got engaged. And it was presented to me by a very faithful man who goes to this church, Jerry Carneal, through adult discipleship. And the funny thing is, I think back on it, it had nothing to do with what we were talking about. He just started going off on one of his, you know, Jerry Rabbit trails, and God used it to change the course of my life and Brandy's. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Why do you think God singles out this specific sin? You know, we say all the time, you commit one sin, you commit them all. All sins in the eyes of God are the same. But not all consequences. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I'm going to ask, this is, you know, I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but why do we fornicate? Let's be honest, Why? Because it makes us feel good. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's pleasing to our eyes. It makes us feel good. You know, we're, again, up at the, up at the uh, introduction, our hormones play a part. It makes us feel good. But it sins against his own body. Every time you do, you're sinning against your own body. You're removing. You're removing part of that feeling. Okay? So you commit that fornication now. When you're married... That's going to be gone. You're robbing it from when you get married. Because right now it's sin. We t- we've taken a blessing from God, and we're turning it in- into a disgusting sin. And I'll give you a testimony. Somebody that I'm really close with fornicated all the way up until they got married. Okay? They get married. The desire is gone. And you guys might be sitting here thinking, no, there's no way. There's no way. That's not, you know, I'm gone. Because you know what they did? they got married there was nothing left nothing left that's a fact and that's something that Brandy and I had to realize that's something that the reality that I had to come to of what am I robbing from my marriage you know this cheap imitation that Satan thinks oh it feels so good now just give in to it who cares You'll want it even more when you get married. No, I'm telling you, you will be completely empty and gross. It's disgusting. That's what happens. You sin against your own body. You rob yourself. You, you deteriorate those hormones. Why? Because you get this perception of what it's supposed to be. Again, it's deception, the wiles of the devil. And then verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own. 
and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, so verse 18 was used to open my eyes to the reality of the consequence. I'm like, holy cow, what am I doing? Where am I leading Brandy? Where am I taking our relationship? Then verse 19 and 20 is, okay, how do you do this? Because I'll tell you, verse 18, if that's your motivation, it still won't work. If your motivation is just to have a nice, fulfilling marriage, it still will not work. Verse 19 and 20 have to be your motivation. Wanting to stop is not enough. What is enough is recognizing that you are sinning against God. Recognizing that you are dragging his face in the muck and mire of the sin with you. Your body, it's the temple of God. Recognizing that he has redeemed you from an eternity in hell, and this is how you are repaying him. I mean, that's how serious this is. That's the only way you can change the course. And that's the only way that I'll tell you from experience, again, that that heart can be restored. That that desire can come back, but man, it's painful and it's hard. Recognizing that you are sinning against God, that is the first step. If it's selfish, it's never, ever going to work. It might last for a month, for two months, a couple months. Sooner or later, your your flesh will overcome your ambition. It has to be because of God, because of what he did. Because you love him so much, you don't want to do that to him. You will not be successful any other way. And also, recognizing that your sin has lasting effects on you and the other person. So let me give you some statistics that I am utterly ashamed of. All right? So past girlfriends. One is still, so these are past girlfriends that I had. Lives that I, that I was a part of, that I didn't affect the course at all. That all I did was just keep them going in the same destructive path that they were in. One is still living like a partying high schooler. Okay? Two have had kids out of wedlock. Still not married to this day. One has already been married, divorced, and remarried. And one is a lesbian. I mean, these are real people. These are real lives that we're affecting. And, and, and I know that they make their own decisions, and that, that's, that's okay, but I played a part in that. I didn't open my mouth. I came in, took what I wanted, and left. And I, again, I was not being malicious. I desired that companionship. I wanted to be with somebody. It wasn't like I was some sick, twisted person just wanting to have a girl. I wanted somebody to spend my time with. And then when they were done filling that cup, I was like, okay. And I moved on. Again, I didn't cause these things, but I, this stuff keeps me up at night. The people that I affected, the impact that I had, it could have been so much more. And it wasn't. So the desire, so you guys have a blank there. I want you to be honest with yourself. The desire that Satan uses in my life is, and I want you to fill in the blank. Think personally. What does Satan use in your life? And and get very specific. Not just say boys or girls. What specifically, if Satan gave you the perfect guy that he'd be able to deceive you with, what would he have that that would cause you to fall away, that would cause you to go off the wrong path? For me, like I said, it was companionship. I so strongly desired to be with somebody. I hated being alone. What's yours? And then you have to choose to be broken. It's a choice. Everything is a choice in our relationship with God. And relationships are no different. All right? We're not going to turn to all these. Actually, can I get some readers? Uh, Ken, Psalm ten seventeen. Jamie, Psalm thirty four eighteen. Jack, Psalm fifty one seventeen. Carson... Psalm 69.32, and Timmy, Psalm 147.3, and everybody else is going to flip over to Matthew 21.
So if you haven't gotten anything out of this message up until, until this point, there's still hope because Matthew 21 will be something that you'll want to pull away with. you got to understand the Bible is true. The consequences it talks about from this sin, they're real. All right, who had Psalm 1017? Okay. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. He hears the heart of the humble. When you humble yourself to God and you're honest with him, he hears that. And he can change the course of your life. Psalm 434, 18. I love that. The Lord is nigh unto them. When you're in that sin, when you're in that dark place, when you're struggling of not knowing what to do with the relationship, it's like God sitting right there next to you. All you got to do is talk to Him. All you got to do is see what He wants you to do. He's nigh unto you, but you got to be broken. You got to humble yourself. Psalm 51 17. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, God loves that. Okay, that's, that's a way we sacrifice. We sacrifice our desires. We sacrifice what we want. You've got to be broken. You've got to be humble. And that's Psalm 69.32. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. In your heart, I love that, the end of that verse. In your heart shall live that seek God. Your heart, one of the most valuable assets that you have. Your heart shall live when you seek God. When you do what He wants you to do. And then Psalm 147.3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wings. And that brings it all full circle. He healeth the broken in heart. Again, never think you're too far gone. He can heal that heart. Another lie that Satan throws in your head. You're already this far gone. What's the difference of one more? Of one more? Of one more? He healeth the broken in heart. In Isaiah, we're not going to turn there, 66, 1, uh, 1 and 2, it says, it talks about how heaven is God's throne and earth, the earth is his footstool. Okay, but it says, but this man will I look unto that of a contrite spirit and one that trembleth at his word. So God, all powerful God, whose heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. This is how massive our God is. Inclines his ear into somebody that has a broken heart. I I remember back when Stephen was preaching, how he did that picture of how, you know, God's essentially up at the edge of heaven wanting to hear from us, wanting us to talk to him. Changed how I look at prayer. As massive as God is, He cares about you individually, and He wants to change your life, but it's a choice. You have to choose it. Matthew 21, verse 42. Powerful verses. It says, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And here's the key. This is what they they didn't do. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And let me tell you, it is much easier to fall on Jesus Christ and be broken willingly than to have Jesus Christ fall on you and grind you to powder. The question is, how humiliated are you willing to be? How far gone, how self-destructed are you willing to go? It is so much easier to fall on Jesus Christ. This verse terrified me. Because I'm like, at what point is Jesus going to say, you know what, I've had enough with you. Stupid, you've known not to do these things. 
and he's just going to come down and destroy me. He's done that in certain instances of my life where I've come back and I was not the same. And it was one of those where I couldn't even look my mom in the eye. How are you willing to pay that price? Fall on Jesus Christ before he has to destroy you, before he has to break you. It's a choice. We all have that choice to make. All right, and then number two. So some examples in the Bible. You guys are familiar. We're not gonna we're gonna look at one in detail, but I do want to hit on the top the first two. How are we doing on time? I can't even see it. There's like a reflection. Okay. So Joseph and Potiphar's wife. All right, you guys are very familiar with that with that story. The Lord was with him and made everything that he did to prosper at the end of that. Why? What did Joseph do? What was he faced with with Potiphar's wife? Fornication. Fornication. Okay, she wanted to she wanted him to lie with her. He said, no, 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 no. His destination was not, what makes me feel good? His destination wasn't, man, she's of high status, blah, 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 blah. His destination was Jesus Christ. His destination was God at all costs. And it was at all costs where he fled. She took his garment and he just took off. That's, that's what a good example looks like. That's how we need to view sin. If you're in a relationship with somebody and they're trying to pull you, pull you, pull you, and tempt you, and tempt you, flee. Get the heck out. Have the same mentality that Joseph did. Because I will tell you, your testimony will be the same. The Lord will be with you, and he will make everything you do to prosper. If that is your heart. That is your heart. And then David and Bathsheba. A lot of details we could hit on that. Okay, but think about it. When he, you know, we, we often, what was David's problem? Why, why did this, what was the root cause of his sin with Bathsheba? What do we often say? Come on, come on. What were what were all what was his army doing? Yeah, where was David? He was at home. When he, yeah, he was he was at home chilling. Said the army went out, but David stayed home. There's another problem too. I can guarantee you, David did not have his mornings morning devotions with Jesus Christ or morning devotions with God that morning. Morning with morning. He didn't spend any time with God. He did not put on the whole armor of God. You know how I know that? Because Satan used that one instance to deceive him, to trick him, to put something in front of his eyes. David stepped outside and he was essentially spiritually naked. And Satan's like, sweet, I got him. Here it is. I know what, I know what desire he has. And it was probably lust of some sort. And he threw it out in front of him. Satan only needs one opportunity. And he can wreck your life. We are all one decision away from having a, a mess. And that's all it was for David. And think about the cost. At what cost that came? He lost his child. It's terrible. But yeah, he went out unprotected and it was a snowball of sin. And that's the same concept in relationships. It's a snowball of sin. You commit another sin, then you commit another sin because that sin doesn't fulfill you anymore. Or you commit another sin to lie about that sin. Or you commit another sin to try and do that sin. You start lying to your parents. You start lying to the friends around you. Whatever it is. These things were true in my life. And I will tell you, when I was sitting out, and f- sitting out amongst you guys, people would have looked at me and said, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good dude. And I'm not saying that like pat on the back. I'm saying that like I needed slapped across the face. I knew how to put on the face. I don't know your guys' hearts. Be honest with yourself. Is this something that you see yourself doing? We are all capable and look what it cost David. All right, and then Achan in the Valley of Achor. Go to Joshua chapter 7. 
Joshua chapter 7. We're going to end here. Now I want you to look at this story as an example of just sin in general, but then relate it with relationships because it is completely applicable. Joshua chapter 7. Alright, do you guys know what Achan did? What did Achan do? You guys know Achan? You guys know the story? Stole Stole some stuff that he was commanded not to touch. Verse 12, chapter 7. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. They were getting destroyed. But turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, this is God, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Get it out. Get rid of this accursed. Whatever is within you, you cannot serve me. I will not protect you until you get it out. Verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the God of the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth and in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent. And behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And here it goes. It starts picking up now. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold. Doesn't stop there. And his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. There's a price. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. What a price. What a price that sin. And it didn't just affect Achan. His sons, his daughters, his oxen, everything that he had destroyed. Is your sin worth it? Is your sin worth that price? The Bible hammers it over and over and over. You you can't hide your sin. It will find you out. And there is a price. There is a cost. And let me tell you, for those of you that are, you know, if there's a spectrum, for those of you that think you're way too far gone, I'm essentially like Aiken. I've already paid too much. I've been down there. I've already felt that heartbreak. There's no coming back from this. God can't do anything with me. Flip over to Isaiah 65 and see what God did with Aiken's sin in that place. So this place that essentially was a memorial of sin, that was a place of embarrassment of what Achan had committed, a place of death. Could you imagine if you were one of Achan's relatives to walk by that and see those stones? To always be remembered by that. Look at what God can do with that, though. 
Isaiah 65, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. And Doctrinalist is talking futuristically, after the tribulation period. We're not going to get into that, but I want you to see something. All right, so in the future, after the tribulation period, and I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. It's talking about where they're going to dwell, their, their dwelling place. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of what? Achor, a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. And in Hosea, it's called the valley of Achor, it's called a door of hope. Let me tell you, whatever you've done, whatever situation you're in, God can turn that around immediately. All you got to do is choose it. Whatever sin you're involved in, and I'm, I'm telling you from experience. So let me go back and finish my story. So a week, bef- week after I got engaged, I was faced with that message. It changed me so much, and we had, Brandy and I had a conversation. There were tears. From that point on, for the next two years until we got married, we were 100% completely pure. And again, I'm not saying that to pat me on the back. I'm saying it. we should have been pure from the very start. But God was able to fill that heart back up. And I'll tell you, when we got married, there was still a lot of crap to work through because of what happened before those two years. But God was able to take my valley of acor, take all the garbage that I was involved in, and turn it into a door of hope. To where that desire is there, to where it thrives, that spiritual desire too. What's your valley of acor? What's your sin that you're involved in? God can turn that into a door of hope. But again, it goes back to a recurring theme. It's a choice. If your motivation is, I just don't want to wreck marriage, it's not going to happen. Your motivation has to be God. So in closing, what will you, and these are just logical questions I really want you to think about. What will you have to explain to your children? You know, I think about that when Emma grows up and she looks at me and says, Daddy, how did you and Mommy meet? I'm obviously not going to get into a lot of the detail, but I'm like, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring it back. I'm going to be like, honey, there's a lot of things that we did that you just you don't want any part of. What are you going to have to explain to your children? Where do you see your decisions taking you five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and into your family? You know, I think of my sister, decisions that she's making. And I'm like, the things that she desires, she wants a family, she wants kids, both my sisters. Let's just let, let it all out there. The decisions that they're making, I'm like, you guys have no idea. They, they're not thinking futuristically. Practically, what kind of family are they going to be left with? And then what have you given away physically and emotionally that belong to your spouse? And in parentheses, write in marriage. Because there are a lot of people that say, well, I'm going to marry them anyway. I married Brandy and I still had to pay a price. Because I robbed from our marriage bed before marriage. It's the same thing with God. We don't have that physical yet. We're a spouse to him, but there is no physical yet. Just because you, you're convinced, and how do you know that's going to be your spouse? How do you know that you're going to get married? Those acts, that, that, type of, that part of your relationship, it's reserved for marriage. But what have you given away already that you need to give over to God so that he can restore Again, what is your valley of acor? God can restore anything, but it's a choice, and it can hurt. And don't turn there. I have it typed up. Hosea 6.1. It says, Come, and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. 
God is the great physician. God can heal whatever you're involved in. Any decision that you've made, God can heal it. And unfortunately, I know, I know, I know there are some of you in here that have already made your mind up. You walked in this door and you're going to walk out exactly the same. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. This does not apply to me. I'm telling you, the Bible applies to everybody. It's true to everybody. The consequences are true to everybody. Nobody is immune from the consequence of sin. Now I want you to think of Luke 5.31. It says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Some of you guys think you're whole. You ain't getting a physician. You need to recognize you're sick. You need to recognize that you're broken. You need to break yourself and humble yourself to God so that he can fix you. Satan will deceive you into thinking that you're whole. Physician can't do anything with, nobody, with somebody that's whole. So my goal, I want you to realize really how serious this topic is. You know, if you're involved in this to whatever capacity, you're never too far gone. God can restore anything. But the further you go, the, more har- the harder and the more painful it becomes. Let God bring you the right person in the right time. I'm telling you. It, and it's not just let God bring you the right person, then you jump on it. You're like, yeah, that's it. Let God bring you the right person in the right time. Be patient. Do you guys believe that God has your best interest in heart? We can say that, but we often don't live it. And this is one of the hardest avenues to do it is in relationships. And Satan pounces on that. So understand the battle that's taking place out there for your heart. Value your heart. Protect your heart. Don't let Satan win. There's a battle going on out there. Which side are you going to be on? Are you going to let Satan destroy your life? Are you going to give it over to God? Are you going to let God restore those things and let God bring you the right person at the right time? All right, let's pray. Dear God, you know that this is a subject matter that's very near and dear to my heart. Look back on some of the decisions that I made, Lord, and it just it breaks me and it causes me to love you even more. Because, God, you could have left me in the pit. You could have left me on the path that I was going. And I'll be honest, I don't, I don't know uh, what decisions I made or what you saw in me, Lord, and what you still see in me, God. But I thank you so much for it, for your unconditional love. What a model it is for me on how to be a husband to my wife. I thank you for, for my wife putting up with me and, and dealing with those things, Lord, and that just how you drew, drew us together and how you helped us clean our life up, Lord. We can't do it without you, and I pray that these kids would realize that, that the decisions that they're making, Lord, they can't make the right decisions in and of themselves and have it stick. It has to be centered around you. You have to be the, the destination of their decisions. Lord, so I pray that you would just help, help them realize how serious this is that we don't get up here talking about biblical relationships because we want to just control these kids and the decisions that they make, but because we care about them and we know that certain decisions, where they're going to take them 100% of the time. So, Lord, uh, I just pray that you be with these kids. We love them and we care about them. And uh, if there's anything that they're going through, Lord, that they will be open and honest with their discipler or with a leader, Lord, so that uh, you can restore that that they've given away, Lord. So I pray uh, just for the message this morning that you continue to work on Stephen's heart. Um, just give him the words to say and uh, just anoint him to, to give us your words, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.